Thanks for listening to the Sub 25 podcast. Sub 25 is a ministry of Gardendale First Baptist Church for 18 to 25 year olds. Tune in as we learn how to live as fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. In 2 Kings chapter 22 tonight, and the title of this series, uh, we, we finished a series last week called Victory in the Valley. And we just got done singing a, that, that victory is ultimately found through Jesus Christ. But, but tonight what we're going to jump into is a series called People of the Book, People of the Book. Uh, this phrase, People of the Book, I was first made aware of it last week. Um, Last week, I found out that in the Quran, or the Quran, uh, that, that there's a phrase that 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 essentially says, "Check the check with the people of the book." And uh, Muhammad, and as he's writing what, whatever uh, whatever he's writing, he, he says, "The people of the book," and he's really referring to Christians. And last week, I had an opportunity of making some friends that that, that are not Christians; they're Muslims, and, and some of you may have friends that believe something else. Um, and had opportunity of having a conversation with, with, with some Muslim friends. But one of the shocking things is that one of the guys I had opportunity to meet, that by the age of 10, he had memorized the entire Quran. And I, and I thought, here I have God's word, the truth. And as Christians, we would say that the Quran is, is not true, and yet he has memorized all of it by the age of 10. And so this phrase, people of the book, does that really characterize who we are? Can we really say that we are people of the book, that, that, we, that we know this book, that we know the God of this book? Everything that we just sang about, where, where did we get that information from? Where, where do we find those truths? We find it in the book. And so as God's people, uh, my, my, my plea and my request for us is that we would be people of the book. People of the book. I, I came across some stats this is a Barna study from 2009. They did a, a survey. They asked 14 questions, and based on these questions, they categorized people where they were and, 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 and their relationship to the Bible. 48% of Americans they considered are disengaged from the Bible. They do not spend any time with the Bible. So think about those that you work with. According to these stats, half of them they don't, they don't have anything or don't want to have anything to do with the Bible. If you're in school, think about those that you go to school with. Half of those that you see have nothing to do with this book, that is God's Word. 9% of people are what they would call Bible neutral. They interact with the Bible sporadically. Maybe they're not opposed to it. They just don't interact with it. They're neutral. Uh, and we see that there is actually a rise in those in our country who would take a neutral position on religion or on what we would say truth is. 19% would be considered Bible friendly. So they interact with the Bible and for them it may be a source for inspiration or spiritual guidance. And and, and I've met many people, maybe you have friends like this, that, that they would consider themselves a spiritual person and so they really kind of absorb a little bit from, from each religion if you will, thinking that again if I grasp a little bit of each of these, maybe I'll arrive where I'm supposed to arrive. Uh, 19% are Bible friendly. Another 19% they classified as Bible engaged. And these folks, they do interact with the Bible regularly. And they would claim that it is actually transforming their lives and their relationships. 
But there was another category that was the farthest category that you could be, and it is called Bible-centered, Bible-centered. And only 5% of people answered these questions, uh, I, uh, l- letting people know that they have a Bible-centered life. And these people, they interact with the Bible frequently, and it is transforming their relationships, and it is shaping their choices. 5%, only 5%. Now, um, Last semester, we had a series called Clarity where we looked at, really, a biblical worldview. And according to other statistics, really only about 4%, only about 4% of Generation Z and even millennials would, would classify as having a biblical worldview. And I say all these stats to say this, that the book that you have, or what, maybe you have it on your phone, the book that I have in front of me, that our world looks at this book and says, that's an old book, it's outdated, it's irrelevant, and it is not the standard that I want to follow for life. But you and I as believers, if we've been radically changed by Jesus Christ, and if we believe this book, then we need to know what it says. And according to 2 Timothy 3.16, God's word is inspired. God's word is inspired. That means it's God-breathed. So that means that if you have a Bible in front of you or again on your phone or on your tablet, that those words, nobody just came up with those. Those are God's words protected and preserved throughout the generations so that you can know God and so that you can know who you are and so that you can know the hope. And we just sang about it. And his name is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and powerful. God's word is alive. God, God's word says that his word is alive, but oftentimes we don't treat it like it's alive. We don't read it. We don't study it. And we find ourselves in a confused, chaotic state when God has protected his word and preserved it so that we can know him, so that we can know how to walk through life, so that we can find who Jesus is and have a relationship with him. We need the book. And my challenge to us tonight and uh, next week is that we would be people of the book. I may not have time to make it all the way through this message tonight. And if that's the case, then we'll cut it off and pick up next week. But let's have a little bit of background before jumping into Second Kings chapter 22. So God's people, the people of Israel, th- there's division and they've split into two nations. We've got the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And if you read First and Second Chronicles, First and Second Kings, you will read about a lot of wicked kings. There were a lot of bad kings. And, and, if you, and if you read these passages, it'll say that they did not follow God the way God would want them to follow him. And so the, these kings, there's wicked kings, but we find in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1, there's a guy by the name of Josiah. Josiah. Um, you may have a friend named Josiah. It's, 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 it's a little bit of an uncommon name. My, my brother's middle name is Josiah. My middle name is Joseph, so our initials are the same. But Josiah, it's a, it's a unique name, but at eight years old, Josiah became king. Now, I don't know what you were doing at eight years old. For me, at eight years old, I talked to you about my bowl cut earlier. I was rocking a bowl cut at eight years old, uh, probably just wanted to eat Pop-Tarts every morning for breakfast. I, I, don't, I don't know what I was doing, Pro- playing football. Uh, I, again, at eight years old, Josiah, he's a king. It's crazy. And, and we see that at the age of 16, Josiah, he began to seek the Lord and he began to, to cleanse the land that he was in because he understood that, hey, this land doesn't line up with, with what God has taught us. 
But we see that there's a significant event that takes place when Josiah is 26 years old. When he's 26 years old, he, he sends some guys into the temple. The temple, uh, it, it needs some repairs. And he sends some guys into the temple, and, and somebody finds something that radically changes Josiah's life. But it doesn't just change Josiah's life. It changes the nation that he's leading. And we pick up in verse 8, 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 8. It says, Then Hilkiah the priest said to Shaphan the scribe, these are the guys that Josiah sent. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word saying, your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, have delivered it into the hand of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed the king saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. If you will, let's just take a moment and let's pray as we dive into this passage. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we can't understand it apart from your Holy Spirit, and so we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you were to go downstairs, there is a lost and found closet. You want to guess what is inside the lost and found closet? A bunch of Bibles. People have been losing God's word for thousands of years. And we see that in 2 Kings chapter 22 because somebody lost God's word. They didn't care enough about it to know where it was at and to read it and to copy it and to know it and to memorize it and to love it. And we see that in 2 Kings chapter 22, the priest finds a book but we see that this is the book of the law. Now, when we, see, when we hear book of the law, first off, understand God's word. But more specifically, we need to think back to the first five books of the Old Testament. And others would say that more specifically that the book of the law would even refer to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy. I'm reading in Deuteronomy in my quiet time right now. And we see that Deuteronomy is quoted over and over and over and over again in the New Testament. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness... He quoted from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is an important book. So when the book of law was found, we need to understand Deuteronomy and perhaps some other portions of the first five books were found. And this radically shaped Josiah's life for the rest of his time as he reigned as king. Now look how Josiah responded, this 26-year-old king, in verse 11. Now it happened when the king heard the words... When he heard the words, and let me just pause right here. If we go to the book of Romans, we find that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of the Lord. When we hear God's word, it changes us. It changes us. When we hear God's word and we have a heart that's ready to receive it, it changes us. And this, was, this is what's happening in Josiah's life. Now, when it happened, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, that he tore his clothes. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, Ahiakim, the son of Shaphan, Achbor, the son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Asa, or Asiah, a servant of the king, a bunch of names that we don't like to say. He said, go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people, and for all Judah concerning the words of this book, 
that has been found for great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book. Our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning us. Okay, so after hearing God's word, it pricked Josiah's heart. Now remember, we already said God's word is alive. So as we put ourselves in position to hear God's word, we need to understand this, that God's word leads to conviction. God's word leads to conviction. Josiah had never heard these words. Now sure, he, he, he knew about the, the one true God, There were elements of following God that he knew, but his response and what we see, it reveals to us that he had never heard these words before. And when he heard them, the living God used his living word to prick Josiah's heart because he understood that the direction of his leadership, the direction of the nation, that that God's people were not following God's word. I don't know if you've ever heard old people talking and, and somebody will say something like, why, aren't you, why won't you go to the doctor? And the other one will respond, well, something might be wrong. Again, I, maybe you feel like that. Maybe, maybe the type of person that you're, I'm just going to tough this out. It's like there's, a, there's this massive problem with your leg. I'm just going to tough it out. I'm just going to tough it out. Go to the doctor. Well, there might be something wrong. I understand no, none of us like to go to the doctor and hear, hey, there's this major issue that needs to be dealt with. None of us like to hear that. But none of us also like to go to the word and, and hear that, hey, there's this major issue in your heart that needs to be dealt with. We don't like that. We don't like that. And, and that's conviction because when we, when we go to the word, we're faced with, with, the, with the truth of what God has put before us. When we go to the word, God reveals God to us. God's word reveals himself to us. God's word reveals us to us. And when we look at God and when we look at us, we find conviction. We see God for all his holiness and his righteousness. And we see us and we see the brokenness. And honestly, it leads to conviction. When we see God's word and we see what he has put before us, I want you to go this direction. I want you to follow me. I want you to love me. And then we see the life that we're living We see this living book speaks to us, that God speaks to us, and we find that we're convicted. God's word reveals himself to us. In our society, and it doesn't take long to find this, we can find that there is no one standard that our society is following. If we were to go walk the streets of Gardendale, or if we were to walk the streets of Birmingham, or if we were to go to a city and just walk the streets, and we ask people, what is the standard for life? What is the standard for morality and the standard by which somebody should live their life? You're going to get all sorts of answers. I was talking with somebody about a year ago at UAB, and his standard was science. Whatever science said, that was going to dictate his response. If science could prove it, he would believe it. If science could not prove it, then he said, we can't know it yet. Science was his standard. He knew about God. He knew about the gospel. He had friends that were Christians. Science was his standard. I'll tell you that science is not a good enough standard. Science is not a good enough standard. Many of you are studying medicine. You're going to be doctors, and you're going to operate on some of us in this room, and that's a little bit scary to think about. It's okay, though. There's some brilliant minds in this room, some people that love science. I enjoy science as much as the next guy. But science is not a good standard by which for us to base our life on. 
It does not answer the deepest questions that we have. Some people will look to society or they will look to government to determine the standard by which to base their life. Whatever the masses decide, we will do that. And we can see that in our country. We can see how morality from 100 years to now, it has shifted because the masses has shifted. And so what, what we do as people is, is we have a herd mentality. We go where the people go. With whatever the people say, we will do that. And we see that, that that's a part of how we are as a nation. And so oftentimes we look to the government to determine the standard for, for even morality, for what's okay. We'll, we'll base our laws and we'll say, well, it's okay, it's legal, I'll do it. And again, that becomes the standard. For, for others itself, self becomes the standard by which to base one's life, decisions. The problem is, is if we looked deep within ourselves, within our heart, within our mind, we would find that there are some very dark things inside of there. We would find brokenness. We would find imperfection. And you and I need something better than an imperfect standard by which to base our life on. We find the perfect standard in God's word. And it is absolutely perfect. And so when we come to this perfect standard, we need to understand that because it's alive and because God wants to speak to people, that when we find ourselves positioned under the authority of God's word, we find ourselves convicted. And this is where Josiah felt. This, this is where he was. After hearing God's word, jo- jo- Josiah is convicted and he sends a priest to go find out, listen, like, like what's about to happen? God's word said one thing, we've been doing something totally different. And according to what we just heard, God is going to pour out his wrath on us. Is there any hope for us? Pick up in verse 14. Bless you, by the way. So Hilkiah, the priest, Ahiakim, Akbor, Shaphan, Esai, went to Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tikva, the son of Horvath, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter, and they spoke with her. Then she said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, tell the man who sent you to me, talking about Josiah, tell this to Josiah. Thus says the Lord, behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. But as for the king of Judah, talking about Josiah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner you shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard. Don't miss this. Verse 19, because your heart was tender. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I will bring upon this place. All right, I know I just read a lot there, but here's the thing. Josiah had a tender heart when he heard God's word. Now, now if we just camp out right there for a second, there's many of us in, in the room right now, and, and, and here's the truth. We, we're not hearing from God when we open up his word because we don't have a tender heart. 
If we don't go to God's word saying, yes, I'll live it, why is God going to speak to us about it? If we open up God's word and, 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 and we've already made up our mind, I'm going to do my own thing, why is God going to reveal what he wants to? Some of us are not approaching God's word with a tender heart, but we see that, that Josiah, he had a tender heart, so he was convicted, but he had an option, and you and I have two options every time we hear God's word. We can either have a hard heart, or we can have a heart of humility. We can have a hard heart or a heart of humility. Every time we go to the word, every time we go to the word, I have to say, okay, God, if your word says it, I'll do it. If it says don't do it, I won't do it. In the power of Jesus Christ, because my life belongs to him, I'll do whatever your word says. And we see that this is what Josiah did, that he had a heart of humility, that he humbly submitted himself to the ways of God. And because of this, if you flip over to chapter 23, we see that Josiah makes a commitment. Hang tight, I'm going to read three verses here. 2 Kings 23, Now the king sent them to gather all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem to him. The king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and with all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great. So everybody's gathered in the room. Again, you got Josiah. He's a 26-year-old, a 26-year-old king. And he says, okay, I want everybody. I want everybody to gather right here. He's got everybody gathered up. And here's what happens. And he read in their hearing. He wanted them to hear it. He wanted them to hear God's word. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant. Let's pause right here. Some of you are a little bit frustrated that I've read a little bit more Bible than normal. Imagine standing, listening to all the book of the law that Josiah was reading. I don't know how long it took, but it took a lot longer than this service is going to be. And, but Josiah loved God's word so much, he knew the power of it was, was so powerful that, that God was worth it and that by hearing it, God was going to speak to them. And so he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the house of the Lord. Don't miss this. Verse three, then the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people took a stand for the covenant. Number two, God's word calls for a commitment. So we see that Josiah, he felt conviction. But just because you're, convic just because you're convicted doesn't mean that you're going to be committed to do what God's word says. But we see that Josiah has a humble heart and he says, I'm going to follow this book. I'm going to make a decision. All the nations around me are, are, are not following God. Most of the kings before me have not followed this book, but Josiah says, I'm going to make a covenant, a deep, meaningful commitment with the God of the universe, and I'm going to follow this book. And he challenged everybody else to do the same. He challenged everybody else to commit to this, to submit themselves to the authority of God's word. And it reminds me of Daniel. Do you remember Daniel? Teenage Daniel, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter one, verse eight. Daniel's a teenager. He's taken from his homeland. He's brought to Babylon. Babylon is, 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 a, is a country and a nation that does not follow his gods. Daniel worships the God of the Bible. All these other nations, uh, well, Babylon, they, they, they worship false gods. And so Daniel is tempted to go the direction that everybody else is going. But in Daniel 
chapter 1, verse 8, we see that Daniel resolved in his heart. He made a decision that he would not defile himself. He would not find himself going the direction of everybody else. He made a commitment, I'm going to follow God at all costs. And we see that this is the life that he lived. He made a commitment. He said, I'm going to follow this God. This God is worth following because this God has the words of truth. And this is what Josiah did. Josiah made a commitment. We won't follow Jesus on accident. Nobody accidentally gets close to God. If you think about some people in your life that, that, that are spiritual leaders, if you think about people in past, maybe books that you've read, uh, people like Billy Graham, people like Charles Spurgeon, missionaries that, that gave their life uh, for, the, for the gospel, they didn't get close to Jesus on accident. They made a commitment. They believed the words that we sang earlier. They believed the words of this book, and they said, I don't care if anybody else is going any other direction. I'm going to follow this book. I'm going to base my life on this book. And some have even said, I'm going to give my life for the message of this book. They made a commitment. And I'm not talking about a commitment towards legalism. I'm not talking about earning your salvation. Salvation is by grace. uh, Excuse me. Can somebody help me out? Salvation is by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? So, salvation is apart from works. It's not based on you and I doing good deeds. It's a gift. It's a free gift. But when we understand how good the gift is, how can we not give ourselves to God completely? How can we not give ourselves completely to know the God of this book and to read the pages and to, and to sit and meditate and think? How, how can we not do that? You see that Josiah makes a commitment. God's word calls for a commitment. Let's keep reading. Pick up in verse 4, 2 Kings 23. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priest of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple of the Lord all the articles that were made for Baal. So, so we've got articles, these different pieces that were made to worship a false god inside the temple that was made to worship the God of the Bible. And Josiah says, we got to get this stuff out of here. In verse 5, then he removed the idolatrous priests whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem and those who burn incense to Baal and to the sun and to the moon, to the constellations and to all the hosts of heaven. And so what Josiah does is he starts, he starts this cleansing process. But this cleansing process is because he was exposed to God's word. Number three, God's word offers cleansing. God's word offers cleansing. Notice this, the cleansing did not happen until after Josiah had submitted himself to God's word. The cleansing didn't happen until he submitted. Understand this, there there are many people who would want to cleanse themselves and then come to God. But what we need to understand, come as you are and submit yourself to God and allow God to cleanse you by revealing to you through his word what he wants from you. And through his power and strength, you'll find cleansing. And we see that Josiah, he, he begins this cleansing process. Did you know that in the New Testament, that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that God's word says that your body is a temple. It's a temple. Josiah, is, he's cleaning the temple. There were, there were things in the temple that shouldn't be there. There were male prostitutes inside the temple, living inside the temple. There were idolatrous articles that people would come in and worship false gods. When we get to the New Testament, we see that you and I are a temple. 
And we have to ask ourselves, have I let some things in the temple that shouldn't be there? Again, if you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, he resides inside of you. And God wants all of you. Is there, is there some things in there that shouldn't be there? Several years ago, Angela and I lived in a, in a house, uh, not far from here, a different house that we were in. And um, it, was, it was in the summertime, and it was blazing hot, and the AC unit stopped. It froze up. I don't know if you've ever been in a house where the AC unit froze up, and you, you go outside, and you can see it. there's ice around it. And it's, and it's extremely hot uh, in, inside. It's freezing cold because there's ice around the AC unit, but it's hot inside. And so I call this AC guy, and I'm like, dude, I, I have no idea what's wrong. Can, can you come fix it? And he says, have you changed the air filter? I said, uh, where's that at? And, and, and I knew that, yeah, you needed to change air filters out, but this air filter was not inside the house, and so I didn't know where it was. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, go underneath the house. This was, it was not built on a slab. It was raised up, and I, was, I said, okay. I go under the house, and I'm crawling. There's spider webs and everything. It's super creepy, and I find this is where the air filter's at, and I pull out this air filter, and guys, the amount of filth on there and this is what the air has been going through that me and Angela have been breathing. I'm like, I, we've been breathing this nasty, dirty air. We got to get. And so we took the air filter out, turned the AC unit off, all that ice melted, put a new air filter in, and we had cool air. See, here's the thing. Sometimes in our heart, we got to change out the air filter. See, days can go on, weeks can go on where, where we realize, you know, I've allowed some stuff into the temple that should not be there. And oftentimes that happens when we aren't in God's word, we're not listening to God's word, we're not submitting ourselves to the authority of God's word. And we see that, again, that filter begins to get clogged up. And then we wonder, why, man, why am I feeling the way that I am? Why am I so frustrated all the time? Why am I confused? Why don't I have any peace? Why don't I have any joy? Air filter's clogged. Got to get it cleansed out. Got to go to the word. Let that wash over you and let it cleanse you. Let's continue to look and... Close up. 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 21, it says, Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover to the Lord your God, as it is written in this book of the covenant. Such a Passover surely had never been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor in all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, he's 26, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. Lastly, God's word, God's word reveals Christ. God's word offers cleansing. God's word reveals Christ. Uh, don't miss this. So the book of the law talked about how God's people should celebrate the feast of the Passover. And if we don't understand the Passover, that doesn't mean much to us. But the Passover was a feast that God's people were to celebrate because it was a reminder that God rescued them out of the land of Egypt, that God's people were slaves and could do nothing to rescue themselves, but God rescued them. So do you see why this was such an important feast? Because as they celebrated this feast every year, they were reminding themselves, man, we are nobody. We were slaves and yet God loved us. He cared 
for us. And so Josiah, he says, man, we're supposed to be celebrating this. And so to celebrate this, he would have had to tell everybody, listen, guys, we were once not a people. We were once a nobody, yet God says, I love you. I care for you. I'm going to redeem you, and I'm going to rescue you. So do you see how through the Passover, God wanted to show Josiah and his people, I'm for you. I'm your rescuer. You need me, and I love you, and I care for you. And you and I, because we're New Testament believers on this side of the cross, we can see what the Passover represents. We see that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. And in the same way that God's people were rescued out of the land of Egypt as slaves, you and I needed rescuing because we were slaves to ourselves. We were slaves to our sin. And yet Jesus Christ became the ultimate sacrifice so that we could find hope and help and peace so that we could have ultimate victory. And so do you see how God is revealing Christ in his word? And so we got to go to it. We got to open it up and read it. We've got to study it because as we study it, we are reminded who we are. We're reminded of who God is. And we see that God loves us dearly, that God has a plan and a purpose for us. We also see that there are consequences, that if we stray, I've dealt with those, many of you have dealt with those, but we see that God's love is greater, that his love is wider. We see that God has provided his word so that we can know him and have a relationship with him. As I close, um, I told you our washing machine broke. And so if you were to go to my garage right now, you would see a disassembled washing machine. Because, again, being a guy, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm going to fix this thing. This is 15, a 15-year-old washing machine, but you know what? I'm going to fix it. So the other night, I'm, I'm taking things apart, and I, I'm, I'm hoping I can put it back together, but I'm, just, I'm, start, I'm taking stuff apart. And I get it apart, and there's pieces laying around, and now I'm looking at it, and I'm just looking. And I got it apart, but I'm just looking at it. I don't know what to do. I, and, 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 and again, like, even if I found something that was broken, I don't know how I'd fix it. I got it apart, though. And so I'm just, I, I don't have a manual to go to. And, and unfortunately, again, I tried to look some YouTube videos, couldn't really, YouTube videos, couldn't really find anything. And so I'm just like, all right, let's buy a new one. And it's like, well, why did I take it apart? Uh, and that's what Angela asked me. He's like, Madison, why did, why did you take this apart? And I'm, again, I just, I don't know. I don't know why I took it apart. But, but he, the truth is, this, this is how some of us go through life. We just start unscrewing stuff. Maybe this will fix it. Maybe if I go over here and shake this thing and beat on it, it, it it'll get fixed. All while God has, says, God has said to us, listen, here's the way I want you to go. I've given you, I've given you my word so that you can know me, so that you can have wisdom, so that you can make wise decisions, so that you can have purpose, and so you can understand everything that I want you to do. And yet some of us are like me, taking things apart, confused and frustrated, all while we're ignoring what God has given to us, his word. And so here's how I want us to close tonight. I want to give you a few options, and I just want to challenge you to choose one of these. And you may be somebody that you read God's word regularly, and if that's the case, man, keep doing that. But I want to give you, I want to give you um, just a couple of challenges. First off, I want to challenge you that you would find a group, maybe, maybe one or two people, and that you would go to them tonight and say, hey, let's read through a book of the Bible together. Not, not, I mean, you don't have to do it in one sitting. You can if you want, but, but no, no, just take a little bit at a time. But those are the people that are going to hold you accountable to it. You're going to say, hey, guys, hey, how was your reading? What's God teaching you? What's God speaking to you about? 
And if you're not sure where to start, try the book of 1 John. It's only five chapters long. You can read it in one week. It'll just take you one chapter each day. But find somebody that you'll do that with. Create a habit. Find accountability. If you don't like that challenge, uh, maybe, maybe you've never attempted to memorize God's word. You've, you've never attempted. Again, I was challenged by, by my friend last week who had memorized the entire Quran. Again, a book that we would say is false, and yet many of us have never attempted to memorize any of God's word. And so maybe some of us, you would find one or two people and that you would hold each other accountable to memorize sections of God's word. And, and let me just say that there are some of you doing this. I, somebody was telling me the other day that there's a group in here trying to memorize an entire book of the Bible, the book of Philippians. So some of you, maybe you want to get on that bandwagon. That may sound like something crazy, but again, I have a friend that I met last week that memorized the entire Quran. Let's be people of the book. If you would bow your heads with me, I don't know where you're at tonight. And you probably hear me say over and over again, read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. And one of the things about this ministry is I realize that some of you are only with us for a semester. And, and then I don't see you. Maybe you go off, maybe life changes. Some of you, you've been with us for a while. There are, there are a few things that I want you to walk away remembering. And one is the importance of God's word in your life. That's why I talk about it. I want you to know that God's word is so important. God wants you to know this book better than I know it. I'm not the standard for how much or how little somebody should know the Bible. God wants you to know it. You have the Holy Spirit if you've put your faith and trust in him. So let's know it. Let's read it and let's study it. Father, your word is good. It is rich. And Lord, I just pray that we would know it and love it and study it. Lord, this book is unlike any other book. And I know that our world says that it's old and it's outdated and it has errors, but God, we believe that it's perfect. We believe that you've preserved it for us. Lord, I pray that we would put down the cell phone and turn off the TV and close the computer and that we would open up our Bible, that we would hear from you. Lord, we want to hear from you. And Lord, when it gets hard to read it and when our mind is wandering, I pray that we wouldn't give up but that we would seek you because you're worth seeking. Lord, thank you that through your word, you revealed Jesus to us and that Jesus gives us life. And so Father, would you strengthen us as we go through this place, as we leave, Lord, I just pray that we would be people of the book and that we would grow each and every day. Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for our time together. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.